Studios, it's football at four. Football at four, powered by Inside the Birds podcast, drops every Monday and Wednesday. Also a bonus podcast dropped this morning, their special interview with Chiefs GM Brett Veach. So the Inside the Birds guys, Jeff Mosher, Adam Kaplan, I mean, they're dropping so much content. You have nothing else better to do except for, you know, in the morning you listen to the Inside the Birds podcast and you spend the afternoon watching the Phillies. You watch the Sixers at 6.30. You watch the Flyers after that. you got nothing else better to do except for consume all that stuff, and you can start the day with the Inside the Birds podcast. Hearing that just puts a smile on my face. You know, the last four and a half months, we've been talking about what if, what if, what if, sports coming back, all that. Now look at us. Overload. Jeff Mosher joins us every Monday and Wednesday for Football at 4. Football at 4 being brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Inside the Birds pod. Jeff, I thoroughly enjoyed your guys' conversation with Brett Veach. I encourage everybody to listen to it. Yeah, that was a fun interview. Um, I'm glad you guys uh, were able to tell your listeners about it. I mean, it's not a, it's not often that people who are outside of the Kansas City area can get a Super Bowl champion general manager from the Chiefs on with you to talk about building the Chiefs into a champion. And obviously, Brett has great local ties. You know, he's a University of Delaware uh, Blue Hen standout. Um, then he was an intern for Andy Reid when Andy was here. And then he came back, left a job in the UD administration, football administration, to come back and work for Andy as a very low-level uh, assistant and then worked his way up the scouting chain and then went with Andy to Kansas City and worked his way up to general manager. And Brett has been credited, and he won't say it, but people who have worked with him will. They give him a lot of credit for the Eagles – being big on Deshaun Jackson coming out of college, on LaShawn McCoy, because at the time I believe he was doing the Midwest and Pittsburgh kind of falls into that eastern Midwest region. And then he moved to the south, southeast, and, you know, Fletcher Cox came from there. It was a big uh, Brett guy. And, of course, to go to Kansas City and, and look at all the talent that they've developed there, um, starting, of course, with Patrick Mahomes, but some good offensive linemen, uh, Chris Jones, Defensive tackle, who's one of the best in the country, uh, also came out of uh, the Southeast Conference and uh, wasn't even a first-round pick. I believe it was a second or a third. So they've done a really nice job building a a champion there uh, with Andy. And, and to get Brett on to have him talk about everything that went into it and his philosophies. We talked analytics. We talked about how he goes about uh, putting together his scouting staff, what they're going to do uh, this year with covid impacting you know scouting and personnel and everything on down so it was a great conversation i I'm, I'm glad we were able to put it on the podcast feed also for everybody to get a listen one thing i wanted to ask you about that he stated because he touches on all of his relationships all people he's worked with over the years and i want to kind of you know, flip it to the eagle specifically he mentioned about how as a person who evaluates talent one of the things he learned was that how important it is to Look at a guy's character, how he fits an organization, how he fits into what the team is trying to build. And I feel like that directly relates to what we've seen with Doug and Howie in this organization over the last four years, Jeff. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, I think what he, he says is you you have to look at you want to build a locker room of good people. And Andy Reid has always been a big proponent of that. But at the same time. You don't just not take a player because he may have a past history. And I think obviously the Tyreek Hill 
situation comes to mind with them. And they, you know, obviously went through it with Kareem Hunt as well, who's not with the team anymore. So you, you are always going to run into situations where no matter how hard you try to build a, a team of, you know, wonderful model citizens, uh, all 53, that's not going to happen. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes is your leader. And by all accounts, he's a smart kid, a great kid, the perfect type of guy you want playing quarterback for you. And there's a lot of guys, I mean, they're one of their offensive linemen who opted out this year, whose name I have a difficult time pronouncing, right? It's French, I believe, uh, LT, LDT, they call him. Um, you know, he has, he's a doctor, <laughs> so he's a smart guy, clearly. And uh, they have put together a team that plays hard, plays smart, and generally generally has good players in the locker room, um, and, and they win a championship. You know, obviously they took a gamble on Frank Clark, who um, I believe came from Michigan and had some some incidents there before he went to Seattle and had success in Seattle. So they'll, they'll take the risk, but what they really want to do is build a locker room culture of, of guys who are devoted to football and are generally going to be good players by the way, inside that, the locker room. By the way, that's uh, Laurent Durvernay Tardif. So you're better than I am, Josh. You know <laughs> I have a history of butchering names, so I, I knew I could get the Laurent correctly, but I just wanted to go with the LDT to well, make it uh, much easier. Just remember, you are a full job working, and you have kids. So yeah. I don't have kids, so when I'm done working, I can spend my useless hours watching sports and looking up pronunciations. How about that? I have That's no what life. Josh does when he's not on the radio is look up pronunciations. Now, I would expect nothing less from Josh, <laughs> by the way, having gotten to know Josh very well. And yeah. I pronounce my own children's names wrong. Oh, so, well, that's, I mean, just, that's bad. Uh, thank you that's for bad job by you. The, the adversity that I am under every single day, especially with the kids at home. That's incredible. Let's get to some stuff with the Philadelphia Eagles, specifically Miles Sanders. What do we know about Miles Sanders being week to week, and how do you think that this impacts him for the start of the season? Well, I don't have exact specific information further than what the team gave out as far as lower body injury, but I can tell you I've looked into it, and what I'm told about many of these injuries, Miles included, is that they're not significant injuries to the point where there should be some real doubt as to whether they're going to be available for the season. Okay. I mean, I, I, that obviously is across the board. I know there's a lot of different players with different injuries. So maybe one or two, maybe have it more severe than the other. But as far as I was told the a lot of this is precaution. You got to remember, you've got almost double. It's almost doubly important this year to keep your players ready and healthy for game uh, for the game, because who knows what's going to happen when the season starts with the testing and everything like that. So for guys who have been here already, Miles Sanders, you know, Jalen Mills, um, for example, um, you know, uh, even Javon Hargrave, because he's played in the league for a couple of years. The, the concern on the team side is let's just get these guys to the finish line of training camp and to be ready for the opener. They don't really have to learn a whole lot. Miles came into camp. We talked about this last week ready to go. And I think you've heard it from Deuce Staley, from Doug, from everybody who's been around him. The kid looks like the game is just coming so naturally to him. So if he tweaks something, they're not going to sit there and rush to get him out there. They want him healthy for the season and they know what he can do uh, and, th and that he doesn't need some catch-up time in the playbook. It's really rookies that you really want to keep healthy because they have the biggest uh, bridge to gap and mo the most learning to do. And so far, it seems like uh, the rookies are, are out there and um, uh, undaunted so far. So that's good. Uh, as I told you guys um, last time I was on Monday, 
the Hargrave thing did happen off the field. It was a weight room injury. It was the pec. Um, they felt like they dodged a bullet, meaning that it wasn't torn, which would have probably extended into the season, if not missed the season, right? I think that's what Malik Jackson did uh, in, in week one last year. So it's a strain. It should be all right. Should be ready to go. And again, he's the type of guy that, yeah, you would love to have him in camp. And But Jim Schwartz does not <laughs> does not run a very complex uh, scheme for his linemen. It's pretty much go get the quarterback. And that's what Javon Hargrave knows how to do. So I don't think he'll be very behind when season starts. Getting back to the running back, does it say anything to you at all that with Miles Sanders and Boston Scott having a day off today that the two main running backs out there with the first team were Corey Clement and the rookie Mike Warren? No, I think that that's, that's kind of normal. Um, I, I, I guess maybe you'd want to see Elijah Holyfield or, or thought you'd see Elijah Holyfield get more work with the first. But to, to be honest with you, nothing's given anybody, and they're going to go with experience right now. And the, and the experience is obviously Corey Clement, who has also reported the camp in great shape. I believe it was Miles Sanders who came out and said he looks like Super Bowl Corey. Now, that's you know rhetoric or hyperbole, whatever you want to say. But the bottom line is Corey's been on this team for the last three years, and he's probably even more so than Boston Scott, maybe built to take on the lead role if Miles Sanders were to be hurt for a game or two or three. So not surprising to me to see Corey get uh, a majority of the reps with the starters. And Mike Warren's a guy who, um, you know, they like out of Cincinnati. He breaks tackles. He runs smoothly. He runs swiftly. I think we've talked about this um, in the, you know, months ago when they, when the, after the draft, as far as, who are some rookie free agents that stood a really good shot to make the team. And he's one that the name kept coming up just because they felt like, uh, as Deuce Staley said, you know, he's a big guy, but he doesn't necessarily just rumble like a big guy. He's got some moves. So I'm sure they want to get a good look at a guy like that to see what he can do. One position that I had my eyes on throughout this training camp is that outside corner position. And Avante Maddox has started with Darius Slay the first two days in pads. And he was very open, Avante Maddox was, about how – Darius Slay has been helping him. You know, do you think that that impact of Darius Slay when it comes to that other outside corner knowledge of the game, just being a veteran, will help Avante Maddox maybe thrive in that spot? You know, I hope so. You know, some players are really easy to learn from just by tapping on their shoulder and asking questions. Others, you kind of have to learn from just by watching. And so, Avant, it's all about the individual. And Avante Maddox, uh, I have come to to you know see him as someone who is studious of the game as a a very smart football player good fbi football intelligence and it would not doesn't surprise me that he's the type of player that's going to look at darius slay take mental notes ask questions you know he 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 doesn't have the closing speed doesn't have the athleticism uh this athletic speed that darius slay has but that doesn't mean he can't learn tricks of the trade and press technique and you know um just kind of tap into what makes Darius Slay a good corner and try to replicate some of those things. So that doesn't surprise me at all, nor does it surprise me that Avante Maddox is your, you know, CB2 opposite Slay so far in camp. We'll see if City Jones gets some reps with the ones, but the coaches have to have to do two things, right? They've got to figure out some of the job jockeying going on, but they also have to prepare for the season. It's, it's less than a month away. And if they felt from the start that Avante Maddox is their guy – and that Sydney would have to dethrone him, then you've at least got to have Avante Maddox getting those first team reps early on and getting uh, into this defense and and ready for that 
that position to start if that's how you see it happening. If Sydney winds up having really good practices and camps, there's always going to be opportunities to get him to run with the first team and and see how it how it goes. But right now, you've got the plan like Avante Maddox is your number two corner. Jeff Mosher joining us here on the Boardwalk on the Hotline Football at Four. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast drops every Monday and Thursday morning. And a special edition dropped this morning with Chiefs GM Brett Veach with the Eagles background. A lot of great content there. Again, the Inside the Birds podcast powers football at four here on 97.3 ESPN. Jeff, kind of sticking on the defense, I'm curious what your thoughts are on what uh, Marco Emanuel said to the media about how you know he seemed very complimentary and some people may be surprised about Jalen Mills and had a lot of good things to say about him and it seems like Manuel a guy who's played in the league seems to be taking a little bit of a different approach in how he talks about the secondary than past guys in the secondary coaching staff yeah it doesn't yeah that's interesting because um you know unlike some of the past cornerback coaches they've had or defensive back coaches they've had Marquand played in the league and played you know at least in recent memory some people can remember him uh, not only playing with the University of Florida, but then also I believe with the uh, the Falcons is who he played for, uh, along with being a coach there. So I, I always notice, and you, and you hear this about Deuce Staley as well, right? Guys who played in the league uh, almost have a different temperament as coaches. They tend to be a little bit more rah-rah with their guys and um, know how to push the buttons because they were out there on the field having their buttons pushed or having their, their, their coaches treat them the same way or, or fellow players who are – were veterans. So I think he's going to bring an interesting dynamic to this secondary that um, it, it really hasn't had. Now, Tim Hawk also played, but I mean, he's the, he's the safeties guy. So Mark, Mark Wan's in charge of the, the corners. And um, so it'll be, plus he's also been a defensive coordinator. So I think that they, that it's a different perspective and it's one that the players will probably cling to uh, and enjoy, especially if they're playing well and getting that good feedback. And, and, you know, Jalen Mills is interesting because, um, even before Marquand had uh, done his Zoom today, I was starting to hear some good things. And we're going to talk about that uh, on the Inside the Birds podcast, which will drop tomorrow morning, our normal one that drops Thursday morning at 6 a.m., me and Adam, because we'll have uh, some updates on guys who are uh, and what they're doing in camp for the past few days. And, and Jalen Mills is a guy whose name came up. And it's a little surprising to me in that I, I, I didn't know how he would acclimate. I, thought, I felt it was good to move him away from the outside because he's clearly lacks the top end speed to be an outside corner. He can be exposed. Uh, I thought moving to the inside as a hybrid defender would be good, but I wasn't sure that he'd be able to be a starting safety and play all the roles. I thought maybe Will Parks, because of his experience, would have that edge, even though he's a newcomer. But I've heard very good things about Mills and how they're using him, and I'll expand on that a little bit more uh, in the podcast. But it's encouraging to hear uh, Jalen has come back and really embraced this role and will have a role going into the, the years if he keeps this up. You also mentioned Deuce Staley, and I, I can't help not think how many times I've heard you talk about the fact that, you know, Deuce is a guy that, you know, could be a coach in this league, about how players gravitate to him, how they listen to him. He talked about how grateful he was for the opportunity to, you know, basically run the team with Doug out for those handful of days, even though he's taking Doug's kind of marching orders. It was Deuce kind of executing as the commanding officer, at least, you know, in the building. And I have to wonder, mm-hmm. considering the things you and Adam have talked about on the Inside the Birds podcast, could this be setting up for maybe Deuce to be getting one of those head coaching jobs next year because of the experience he had this offseason? 
You know, it should, Josh. I mean, a lot of that was said about Eric Bieniemy in this this past offseason. He wasn't able to get a, a head coaching job. So I still think he'll always have to battle the stigma of A, being a running back, and B, not being an offensive coordinator. And it's kind of silly because, for you know, there are some really successful coaches in this league who are not coordinators on one side of the ball, uh, offensive defense. You know, John Harbaugh was a special teams coordinator, uh, just like Joe Judge from the Giants. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Mike Tomlin, when he came to the Steelers, was defensive coordinator with um, – where did he come from? Minnesota, was it? Uh, all Minnesota, of a sudden I'm, yeah. I'm blanking. But... He was under Leslie Frazier. Right. He was not – I think he was the linebackers coach, if I'm not mistaken. But he, he was someone who was considered – a good leader uh, of men, a good football mind, and someone who uh, can command a locker room. And that's, that's Deuce Staley. Deuce Staley can command a locker room. You know, he's not a ghost. He played recently enough for people to remember. And when you walk through the halls of Novacare and you see pictures and artwork of guys um, who are responsible for that, you know, rise to power in the 2000s under Andy, uh, Deuce Staley is one of them and he's got pictures all over the place and people know who he is and they really appreciate he's a very candid guy very blunt very candid and I think I always hear players say I don't care if it's bad news just tell me the news don't sugarcoat it don't lead me astray and Deuce has always been known for being straightforward and you know, very straightforward you know where you stand with Deuce Staley uh, maybe you know Gabe Kapler not so much Deuce Staley yes you absolutely know when you're in hot water so I think that it makes sense that he would be someone who should be in line for a head coaching job. And and not to mention that Eagles running backs over the last three or four years, whether it's been a committee, whether it's been one guy getting the ball, they've all done fairly well. I mean, Wendell Smallwood a couple of years ago wound up being their lead carrier for a couple of games and was able to move the chain. So who, Corey Clement was a Super Bowl hero. So whoever has had the ball for them. Uh, has done a pretty good job. And, uh, you know, we may nitpick on a game-to-game basis about rotations and, or this or that, but Deuce has maximized the talent out of that position. And I do really think he deserves more of a look for a job, and we'll see if it happens. How dare you bring up Gabe Kapler? How Just for dare you? you? <laughs> uh, but Deuce Daly, and tying Deuce Daly with Miles Sanders, he stated that the mental focus of Miles Sanders is just unbelievable. And and I'm really intrigued for what Miles Sanders is going to be this year, but I, I feel like the hype around him is higher than maybe my expectations. Is there another league in the back that he relates to that is at the top of this league, or is he his own unique personality out there? I'm just trying to get you know his ceiling. How high is his real ceiling, and, and does that compare to anybody else out there right now? You know, that's a really good question, Hunter, because I've had the same kind of thoughts and concerns. You know, certainly um, we on our podcast, on the Inside the Birds podcast, have have talked up Miles Sanders in year two. And, you know, we there was a, a, a long period in there where we weren't sure if there was going to be football, right? We're talking about June and July, and there wasn't much to talk about. And it, I, I felt like our conversations – naturally gravitated toward Miles Sanders and his development. But you can understand why. It's because the 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 moves that the Eagles didn't make at running back in the offseason certainly reflected that for the first time they had one guy that they believe can be their their next kind of three down running back, their next Westbrook, their next LaShawn McCoy, their next Drew Staley. And that's really good company. So it's hard not to get excited when the organization sends that kind of message. And then of course Ever since training camp started, it's only been validated by what you've heard from Deuce and Doug and and other teammates. So 
is is are we probably all guilty of maybe overhyping him a little bit for a guy who's had you know one year maybe it's it's, it's possible but uh, I think there's some some good reason and validation for that because this team expects a lot out of him and he showed up in great shape and and they're ready to roll with him and they need him and I don't know when you say who does he compare to in this league you know I'm, I don't want to get that's where we get a little bit crazy. Like if I say, well, he runs the ball really well and catches the ball really well. And Christian McCaffrey does that. I don't want people to think that now all of a sudden I'm turning Miles Sanders into Christian McCaffrey. Um, but I do know that this team has talked. And even before he got hurt yesterday, they were using him in situations where he was lining up in the slot and running routes as a receiver and catching some passes. That's stuff they did with Brian Westbrook uh, also. So I, I just think that he's one of those versatile halfbacks who you see, out there who can run, who can catch, who can do a lot of things, you know, whether he's going to be as good as McCaffrey, that, that remains to be seen. I, I, you know, they don't use running backs the way Carolina has had to use Christian McCaffrey. So I don't know if you'll ever see him getting 2000, 2100 yards or anything like that. But uh, from a skill set standpoint, it, it appears that they feel miles can handle pretty much anything that they throw at him. Jeff, one more on the uh, national front before we let you go. The uh, little news popping off this afternoon. So it looks like the Jaguars are close to trading Yannick Ngakwe, but to the chagrin of Eagle fans, it looks like it may not be the Eagles. According to Adam Schefter, right now the Jags and the Ravens are working on finalizing this deal. So i got to ask you, you know, what are your thoughts on that of the Jags getting a deal done, but it looks like it would be with the Ravens. Mm, the rich get richer, don't they? <laughs> um, and and I say that, you know, on multiple levels about rich getting richer because it, for a team to make this move, they're going to have to be able to afford Yannick Ngakwe, who's going to make a lot of money. And I think it's pretty well documented that the Eagles are over the cap by a lot next year and going forward and that um, the cap may be going down, which would – make their deficit even larger, right? And um, not to say that Howie couldn't do it. He could, and then just figure out how to move, make that money work by either giving, you know, um, restructures or just, you know, getting rid of certain players who are who cost a lot of money. But I don't know that he wants to do that right now because it's really difficult. I mean, Howie can, has shown he can get things done. There's no question about it. But to get things done to clear money, especially the type of money they will have to clear going forward, you have to make corresponding moves. And how many players, if you're the Eagles, do you want to get rid of to be able to afford this guy? It's easy to say, well, Deshaun should go, he's old, and Malik Jackson can go, he's old, and yada yada can go, and he's old. Well, okay, now you just got rid of all these players. So what do you, just to get one player in. Now how are you going to address these holes next offseason? Yeah, you just shaved up all that money to be cap compliant but you have no money to spend in free. You're not under the cap by enough money to be able to bring players in. So it presents a whole lot of issues. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me that a team that has more cap space right now has the ability to bring in Yannick Ngakwe. He's Jeff Mosher, the Inside the Birds podcast. Every Monday and Thursday morning, it drops off a new one, drop in tomorrow, of course. Before then, you can catch the great uh, conversation with Brett Veach right now on the podcast list. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Mosher NFL for all your Eagles and NFL news. It was all guests. He appeared here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Jeff, great stuff today. Hey, thanks, Josh. Real quick, I just want to let everybody know, Monday is going to be a big day this coming Monday, The uh, what's that, the 24th. 
for Inside the Birds. We're going to have a few announcements, and uh, we're looking forward to sharing a lot of good news with our listeners on Monday. So I'm excited for that, and I just wanted to give everybody a heads up. I like good news. I like hearing that. Well, we're happy to have it for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Jeff joins us every Monday and Wednesday. Football on Ford Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. You have tomorrow all the notes. Then you have uh, Monday. You got the big news. And, of course, Brett Veach today drops. They got a lot going on inside the Birds podcast. Football on Four here on 97.3 ESPN. Football on Four being brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. It'll match your first deposit up at $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com and win real money with their sports book along with casino games for the comfort of your home. Must be 20 winner order to play. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Also, Jeff is the co-host of the Powder Blue podcast with Hunter Brody and Frank Close. So, obviously, you have to bring up Gabe Kapler to get on your nerves. I love watching people freak out about Gabe Kapler after a West Coast game when I'm still checking Twitter at 1 a.m., all those Giants fans out there on the West Coast going nuts. Now we see why Philly fired this guy. I'm cracking up. Hate the face. (laughs) Well, if you have someone you hate the face, you can text in for Ask Broads and Josh on the PlaySugarHouse.com text board. 609-403-0973. Also still to come, we'll talk NBA bubble and the Sixers, Celtics tonight, and more. Keith Smith, Yahoo Sports at 5 p.m. And Weinberg Wednesday, touch more on the Eagles. And also high school football as well with Dave Weinberg coming up at 5.30 here on 97.3 ESPN. Josh Hennig. Filling for Mike Gill. Mike will be back in the saddle tomorrow here on the Sports Match along with Hunter Brody here on 97.3 ESPN. It's Sixers Playoff Basketball tonight on 97.3 ESPN with the voice of the 76ers, Tom McGinnis. Calling all the exciting play-by-play action. But Josh Richardson steals the ball. ESPN, Josh Hennig filling in for Mike Gill. He'll be back in here tomorrow. Had to step out a little early, but all's good. He'll be back in tomorrow. Hunter Brody, Ask Bros and Josh. PlaySugarHouse.com text board is open, 609-403-0973. Coming up at 5 o'clock, we'll talk NBA, Yahoo Sports, NBA writer, the bubble master, Keith Smith will join us. Weinberg, Wednesday at 5.30 on game night, only a half-hour edition. Kevin McCormick, 97.3, Sixers. Writer will join us to preview Sixers Celtics game two. Of course, you hear all the Sixers action tonight on 97.3 ESPN. 6.30 start for Sixers, followed by Flyers hockey. And thanks to an overtime game, looks like the 97.3 listener might not miss much of the game at all. That's exciting stuff. I can't wait for this basketball game tonight. Only one thing can compare to the excitement of basketball playoffs, and that is having skin in the game with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. They're giving you an amazing free bet offer. For every day that you bet at least $20 on basketball, DraftKings Sportsbook will give you a $10 free bet. Don't forget about the hockey playoffs as well. Use code 973 when you sign up. Must be 21 or older. Restrictions apply. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLE. We got a little bit of everything when it comes to Ask Broads and Josh today. Do you want Phillies, Flyers, or Sixers first? Surprise me. Okay. (laughs) How is it possible that people believe the Sixers can win this series? They are all going crazy. That's from Connie. Wait. 
I guess he or she d- does not believe in the 76ers. But that seems so, like, I need a little more. Like, Well, they're asking the question, how do people feel like the Sixers can win the series? How is it possible that they truly think that this Sixers team, after what they have shown you all so season that's so open-ended. Long, well, sure, My fine. Feelings there's there's no rules here, Josh. It's not It's not ask Mike and Broads, but it can't be open-ended. It's ask, or it's, you know, it's ask Broads and Josh today. I'm getting all confused with the names. Today, it's ask Broads and Josh. There's no rules to this. <sighs> Oh, my goodness. All right, so... Do you have the answer? Well, I have my <laughs> answer, and I'm going to answer first because of the fact that you picked the Celtics to win the series, and I picked the Sixers to win the series. And I would say because no Gordon and Hayward, I feel a lot better about that pick now because I think that there's one less weapon on offense. Let's be realistic. Marcus Smart is not the offensive weapon that Gordon Hayward is. And I think the fact that it's Marcus Smart now in the lineup instead of Gordon Hayward, helps the Sixers, not maybe not tremendously, but at least helps them narrow down who they have to defend because now you can have Thibel guard Tatum and not to worry about anybody else. You can redistribute well, the defensive Jay- matchups. Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker, those are two big players that are not some slouches here. No, but I said this on game night on Monday, and I'll ask you this question, all right? Kind of like an addendum to the listener's question. I said that for the Sixers to win the series, one of the things they had to do was they have to choose their poison. Who's the guy they want to score? Because if you're going to have Walker, Brown, and Kemba all score 19 to 30 points each, you're going to lose. But if only one of them scores 30-some points and the other two are in the mid to low teens, you're going to be good. I don't think you're going to get that, though. There, There are too good of players where that's going to be a common theme. It might happen, and that's why I think they're going to lo- the Sixers are going to lose in six, because it might happen maybe two games, but the reason why this Celtics team is so good is because they do have those players giving you more of those nights, and that's the struggle for the Sixers. They don't have players to match up with them. I just don't know if Gordon Hayward, like, he makes a difference, but putting Marcus Smart in the starting lineup, if that's the road they go down... That's going to suffocate this already poor offense even more. And that's concerning to me. I don't know if the Hayward injury is that much of a difference maker. And that's no knock on Hayward because I think he provides a ton. I just don't think the Sixers have enough with or without him. So you're not buying it. You're just like, you know what, it doesn't matter. Like, do you, But difference- I don't feel I'm saying that in some irrational way. I, I think I'm just logically looking at what this team has done to this point. And when it comes to the fourth quarter, their offense goes dry and it's stale and they can't produce much. And you lose Ben Simmons, so it's only Embiid. And he hasn't done it where he takes over and dominates to that degree where we literally need him to. Like, I'm just basing it off of what I've seen this point. And to this point, I don't think they have enough. I think that they have enough. I do. And that's why I picked them in the win in the first place. And I think that Hayward makes a big deal because... Beyond those three main guys, Kemba, Tatum, and Jalen Brown, you could argue that if you compare the Celtics bench versus the Sixers bench, Sixers might actually have a better bench. I agree with that, but the bench in the playoffs, when you look at how many minutes these guys played for the Celtics outside of Smart, they're playing like 10 minutes. And while those 10 minutes are definitely a big 10 minutes in a basketball game, you saw what happened last season when Joel was on the floor and he wasn't on the floor. But if I think the 30-plus that you're going to get from the starters is going to be too much damage from the Celtics where those 10 minutes are going to be the difference-making 
place. And maybe I'm wrong. We'll see what happens. But I, I think there's too much firepower with the Celtics where if Tatum and these players are going to play 38 minutes or so, those 38 minutes are going to be the difference compared to those 10 minutes of bench play being the difference. But you are right when you say the Sixers do have better bench depth. And you don't know what Coach Brett Brown's going to throw out there today in terms of lineup. So, you know, it could be Shake Milton coming off the bench. Or it could be Burks or Al Horford. I mean, we just don't know what type of adjustments are going to be made when it comes to the lineup. What do you think they should do, starting lineup-wise? Well, I th I've been saying all the time, I think they should do Thibel. Yeah, but what about... Horford comes off the bench. Okay, but what about Shake Milton? Because he clearly isn't what we need him to be. No, but I don't think Alec Burks is the answer either for this reason. I, I don't think... The only thing Burks can do is score. He's not going to run the offense better than Milton. He's not going to bring the ball up the quarter, play defense better. Any better than Shake Milton, though? I don't know. I, you're I mean, right. You're, it's not like Alec Burks is some phenomenal passer, but Shake Milton's pretty first poor. First of all, if you're really worried about the passing elements, well, just start Howell Neto. Oh, yeah. Oh, could you imagine? Howell Neto's a better you're passer right. than Burks and Milton combined. You are right, but I don't think that that's a road you can go down because that's not going to work. Well, TJ McConnell here, so I don't know who else to go with. Well, TJ McConnell didn't work either. And now we see now now you're starting to see why I feel the way I do. These options that we're talking about, the answers consistently that is not gonna work, right? Yeah, you're right. I'll, I'll give you that. PlaySugarHouse.com text board is open six zero nine four zero three zero nine seven three. Ask Broads and Josh. I hate Kyle Lowry and his big eyed face. All he does is initiate bogus fouls and offensive charges because he's small and can act. Bring him to the Sixers. We need a cheap guy like that. That's Joey D. And he, he is one of the <laughs> most annoying players ever. And, and when you complain about him, everyone goes, oh, well, you would love him if he's on your team. And, of course, that's how it goes. But he is obnoxious when it comes to complaining and flopping and putting his hands up. He is the worst when it comes to that. He bothers me so much. Let's add him to the hate the face list. I think what Ooh, we need to do face. in this studio, we have all these whiteboards and we, you know, we schedule what we're going to do this week and who's going to be on the show. We need to have a whiteboard of Broads, Josh, and Gil. And we're just going to have a hate the face list. And then we can kind of compare and contrast the hate the faces of ourselves. Who do we hate that much where it's a hate the face? Do you like Joey D's hate the face? Oh, I, I think it's phenomenal. The hate the face is on my list. Kyle Lowry's on my list. Is he on yours? I don't really hate him that much. No, I got Lowry. I got Gabe Kapler. I got uh, Furkan Korkmaz. You'll see him tonight. Did you see him try and get some space the other day in his seven minutes? He couldn't move a centimeter without getting just destroyed. The the best was the attempted step back. Oh, yeah. And he, like, almost fell over himself. It doesn't work. <laughs> uh, watch. Tonight he's going to drop 38 points. Broach, you're stupid. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, basketball in the playoffs, he gets suffocated because he's not he's not athletic enough to get open on these defenders. And that's something that I've been calling for for a while. All right, we got one here from Alec. Should we be concerned about the Flyers scoring, or can this work for a long playoff run? I mean, to me, having a deep playoff run can be a variety of things. Any sport, like for example, if, if I can just switch to a different sport, baseball, okay? I remember that Arizona Diamondbacks team, 
that run felt like it was just Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson, right? Uh, several years ago, it was Madison Bumgarner for the Giants. And half the uh, rest of the team was okay. But So I think that sometimes we look at things as a flaw, but it might open the door for another opportunity for you to win games. And, you know, maybe because one thing is not clicking for you, it allows you to focus on something else and BGC have that be so elite that it can carry you. I think that they do need to open the scoring up a bit more, but I and I and I kind of talked about this when we started the show from the two o'clock hour. The style of playoff hockey is just different. In the regular season, it's open ice, you have some flow. The intensity on defense that you're seeing now, it doesn't allow teams to have these wide open scoring chances. Both teams shut down defensively and do what they need to do defensively, which doesn't allow their opponent to enter the zone so easily. It doesn't allow the opponent to have these three-on-two odd man rushes where you're getting grade-A chances after grade-A chances because your, your dedication to the D zone is intensified. So I just think we are realizing now, because we haven't been involved in playoff hockey that much, now that we are being remembered on what it's about, our, our thought process has to change when it comes to how teams play in these type of scenarios. Yeah, I just feel like with the Flyers, which are totally different story than the Sixers, by the way, I just feel like the goaltender and the defense can carry you. And as long as you're scoring more goals than the other team, is that but the But as of the day? you get deeper... You're going to be playing teams that are just as good defensively. Now it comes to those counterattacks where you do get that chance. It's like, okay, soccer, right? You watch soccer and people say, oh, it's so boring because, you know, you don't get that many scoring chances. But, like, if you if you analyze the strategy involved on some of these counter rushes in soccer, they're waiting to pounce. They're waiting for that one chance to go on that counter and make it happen. In playoff hockey, it's the same way. And, and when the Flyers, maybe they play the the New York Islanders, or they play another team down the road like Tampa Bay Lightning. Those teams are just as sound defensively, and you got to make sure when you do get that counter, you score. And, and when you look at the depth of the Tampa Bay Lightning's forwards, I would put money that they'd be able to do it more than this Flyers team right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when you think about the NHL, though, I will say this. I don't have a lot of confidence that Halak's going to carry Boston very far. Like he'll, he'll get them through this series, possibly. But I don't think he's going to get them that far. I think Tampa is really good, but the Flyers have shown that they can beat them. And the Islanders, they're a good team, but not a great team. So I think that the Flyers just play maybe like next tier better offense than they're doing right now. They can beat those teams. I just think that to me, I've always believed the goaltender makes a massive difference. And I don't think that we've, we've realized how many times the goaltender literally is the only thing that got his team. Like, when the Ducks got to their first cup and they lost, it was only because of Jaguar. It wasn't because of anybody else. Like, no offense to half that team, like, old man Korea at that point, all those guys. Those guys were so past their prime. It was the goaltender. You know, the AC Kings, it was the goaltender. Yeah, we all were like, yeah, Flyers West, Jeff Carter, and Mike Richards, and half the region could name half the team because they all played for the Flyers, but it was the goaltender. And I think that... This team, this Flyers team, is a good team, but the goaltender elevates them that much. They, they definitely have talent, but you're right. The goaltender is something that makes this team take the jump, but I'll go back to this. Tampa Bay Lightning had Vasilevsky. 
and Vasilevsky is just as good as Carter Hart. And now factor in the roster. I'm just saying, down the road, it gets tougher because the teams are playing the same style the Flyers are, and they have just as good as a goaltender. That doesn't mean Carter Hart can't outduel someone like Vasilevsky. He's doing it right now in Carey Price, and I think this Flyers team is good. But down the road, you're going to see teams who are just as talented, if not even more talent, with the goalie who's just as good, and that is where I think I'll worry about the Flyers' score. Espros and Josh being brought to you by Quick Draw from the New Jersey Lottery. $1 bet could win $100,000. 3 ESPN. Josh Anikfellian for Mike Gill here on the Sports Bash. 973 ESPN. 4 o'clock hour has been brought to you by Matt Black Kia. Matt Black Kia wants to get you approved today. That's Matt Flakia on the Black Horse Pike at Egg Harbor Township. Do want to mention that uh, the conversation about Yannick Ngakwe earlier. So apparently, Michael Lombardi, who is former NFL GM, does get some reporting right sometimes. He was completely duped on the Yannick Ngakwe news about the Ravens. So... I should have been a little bit more uh, persistent in researching that information. Make sure that his information was correct. For those who don't know, so earlier today, Michael Lombardi retweeted that about, uh, about say, like an hour and a half ago, that the Jaguars were close to, you know, heat, trade talks were heating up. They were close to finding a trade partner. Then Adam Kaplan, NFL insider, a guy that we all rely on, he joins the show every Thursday, retweeted that the Raiders might be in the conversation. Well, and about a half hour later after those tweets, Lombardi was basically parroting that it was the Ravens. Come to find out that he was duped and a lot of people were duped because half the world was retweeting Lombardi. And now Lombardi says it might be the Jets. But now I don't know if I can trust Lombardi because he got duped on Twitter instead of relying on his own sources. Right. Yeah, he tweets, I screwed up on the Ravens one. Those damn fake tweets. Then he comes back and says, okay, so this one is real. Hearing the team deeply involved is the New York Jets. That's not fake news. Does see, it happen? Not sure, but they are trying. But see, here's the question. And let me ask you, and I, I sincerely want to ask this because this happened to us, but this happened before. In the last few years, actually the last three years, there's been four different times that Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network, the NFL Network, not blah, 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 dot com, okay, got four different Eagle reports completely and utterly wrong, okay? At what point do we stop trusting an insider? Well, let me say this. So you're saying he had four things wrong, right? In the last three years, How yes. many did he get right? I would say millions. I don't know about millions, but a, a, a good a amount. Thousands, right? So, you know, I mean, people are wrong. We all make mistakes, and, and I'm not saying that... You know, they get a free pass because in this business, being wrong could be something serious, right? I mean, you can't be wrong in certain aspects. But if you're going to put out 25,000 reports and four of them are wrong, isn't that just nature of being a human? I don't know. I'm, I'm just, that's the way I kind of see it. It's like, you shouldn't be wrong because it's your job and this is a serious business where, you know, this is important when you report it. But, we're human? I don't know. I mean, that's the way I kind of see it. I hear what you're saying. I just feel like something Adam Kaplan has talked about on Inside the Birds that he'd rather get it right than be first. And that's very, that's a very good mindset to have. And I think that's what troubles me, and that is you try to trust people 
they get something wrong and it makes you it makes you question if why you trusted them in the first place. Guy we can trust. He was worried about the bubble. He's the bubble man. Keith Smith talk NBA next. Wake up weekday mornings from 6 to 10 with Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Subin on 90.